And Scott Sharp, what are we looking at for today, the start of the month? You know, I've been around for some time now, Jane, and that's the first time I've ever heard it called leaking from the sky. But I quite like that. I'm going to note that down in my my little black notepad so I can use it at some time. <laughs> I'm not sure that it's good for gardens, though, is it? You really do better with a drenching, wouldn't you? Probably, but a little bit of leaking's not too bad every now and again. It sounds like it's a, like a bad toilet or something like that, or a, even a boat. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> uh, no, we'll talk about plants as well. Look, I thought we'd talk about pruning crepe myrtles. Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, plants to give you some winter colour. And, of course, it's the inaugural Tom's Veggie Watch. Well, we're going to do it monthly. Nick has rung in from Wood Rising. And, Nick, your question's about South African chestnut trees. Yep. Hey, Nick, how can we help you, mate? So I sent you an email. I don't know if you answered it because I didn't get to listen to last week's show. Ooh, I, no, I, te- technology's failed us there. I, I didn't get it. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, so I've got a tree that I finally identified as a South African chestnut. I've yes, been yeah. here. Yep. Been Some, here about four years. Yeah, sometimes we call them, we mostly call them uh, Cape Chestnuts here in Australia. That yeah, seems Cape to be the common, Yeah, that's the yeah. common name, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to identify, even the arborist couldn't tell me what it was till it finally flowered. Um, and it's absolutely glorious, yep. but it's only flowered once. That was last year. Yes. This year I got one flower on the top of the tree, and it's grown a hell of a lot over the last three years. It's now about five metres, five, six metres high, and four or five metres wide. So I'm wondering what I can do to maintain it. Should I uh, start lopping it? And what can I do to get it to flower more regularly? Because basically it's had no care. It just sits in the um, down the back of the yard and just cops all the runoff from the yard. Yeah, okay. Well, look, it's difficult once you get a, a, a tree that size. How long have you had it in the ground now, mate? Oh, I don't know. I guess it's been here. 20 years. Oh, okay. So it's been quite some time, yeah. Yeah, I've been only been here four years. Okay. Look, yeah. look. it is, once you get a tree that's that size, it is, you know, difficult to, you know, to adequately feed a plant because its root systems, you know, so deep down in, in, into the ground that, uh, uh, you know, feeding it around the surface isn't going to do a, a great lot. Uh, look, it, it might not, uh, you know, it might not hurt it to uh, get a lopper in, you know, a tree arborist to come in and actually give it a little bit of a tidy up, especially if it, uh, you know, hasn't been looked after that well and it is 20 years old. Um, look, they can get qu- quite tall. Uh, you know, they can probably get up to about 10, 12 metres tall. So uh, yours might be sort of reaching its, its full height uh, here in Australia. Um, but that's yeah, it. Look, it's got to compete with a giant casuarina next to it and uh, gums on the other side. Okay, so is it in some shade or is it out in the full sun? No, it's in some shade, yeah. Yeah, okay. And look, that might be, you know, slightly affecting the... Uh, the uh, flowering of the plant because uh, they do like to be out in the full sun the other thing casuarinas do is uh, like a lot of uh, conifer type trees is that they'll actually uh, uh, you know, change the soil uh, now the name of it is actually um, evading me at the moment but uh, they drop those needles everywhere and effectively what it does is it uh, sort of sterilizes the soil so that only casuarinas can grow in the same area um, so it's you know it's a bit of like a scorched earth policy on the on their part. So that could also be affecting uh, your Cape chestnut as well. Um, but look, uh, get an arborist in, maybe give it a, a light tidy up. But I wouldn't go too heavily, especially if it's already competing for shade. Uh, and look, uh, last year yeah. I, I guess the only thing we could put it down to is you know we had very very dry conditions. Uh, and, and that may well have affected the plant as well. If you have got some sulphate of potash, 
Yeah. Uh, look, you could start spreading that around the area, but uh, for a tree that size, you'd have to use an, an awfully large quantity. So uh, I'd, I'd probably not, you know, worry about that unless you had some sort of sitting in the shed, you know, a, a, you know, a big vat of it or something sitting in the shed. Yeah, I'll just keep a, a heavy mulch on it. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to go. Uh, look, yeah, like I said, you get, uh, you know, trees that size, eucalyptal, you know, things that big, it does become very difficult to actually uh, feed them and look after them uh, just because the root system is down so deep. And uh, they're sort of self-sufficient already. And if they're surviving there, well, that's all well and good. The soil conditions might not be perfect for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, you just see how you go. See how we go, thank okay. you. Okay. Thanks very much for that. Thank you, Nick, for your question. Are they edible, the chestnuts on the Cape chestnut, Scott? Oh, I don't. Look, they come from uh, Africa. I reckon monkeys and and birds would probably eat them, but that's about it. I've never actually... I don't think they're like, yeah, Cape... They're not chestnut nuts that we can (laughs) eat, yeah. Not part of our staple diet. (laughs) Look, I'd say give it a try, but um, I don't want to poison someone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is the start of the month, Scott Sharp. It is the start of the month, and we promised Tom that we were going to do, and we haven't got the sting done yet, you know, we haven't got the introduction done yet. So I mean, it'll sound really good next time. It's going to be really dramatic, but it's time for... Tom's Veggie Watch. Da, da. Da. Now, Tom <laughs> rang in uh, a few weeks ago and he just wanted us to, every month or so, just have a chat about, you know, what vegetables are happening in the garden at the moment, how to look after them, uh, you know, what to do with them if they're looking a bit, uh, un, you know, unsavoury or untidy at the moment. So I thought we'd have a quick chat about that. So, look, the, the plants that are in at the moment, this, this is going to be much more exciting once we get that intro done, OK? <laughs> I think it's pretty exciting already, don't you? Be, and we might even have some music in underneath this, some... Drum roll. Some, well, something. Something that just continues on and, and makes it sound extremely interesting. So veggies, uh, what's in at the moment uh, are the brassicas. It's the broccoli, the, the cauliflower, the cabbage, the uh, the Brussels sprouts. Uh, I didn't know that uh, mustard was also a form of brassica as well. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. That's a very interesting one. But look, they can be a little bit touchy to look after. Um in, mustard plants, okay. Yeah, well, not mustard plants. Oh. I'm sorry, just talking about all the other brassicas, brassicas in okay. that they uh, can get the, the cabbage moth and, and those little white grubs, little, you know, the moth, white moth comes in and the green grub comes and has a bit of a chat uh, and uh, just, you know, eats up all the leaves of the plant and makes it really look quite ugly. So uh, you really need to look after those at this time of year, especially when you've had some rain. So what you use is the old-fashioned Deris dust, it's not deris dust anymore, but that's, you know, they might be called veggie dust or t- tomato and veggie dust on the packet. But effectively, it's what we used to, you know, have as deris dust. And uh, you just dust, uh, you know, nice and regularly with that probably every week or two weeks, especially if it's rain, you have to go out there and do it again to try and keep those little uh, grubs under control. Uh, look, you've already planted them, so all's well. The other thing to do is just make sure that you're... Uh, your uh, soil is just fairly neutral at the moment. So if it is a little bit acidic, you'd actually get some lime and add it into the soil just to uh, you know lower that pH a, a little bit and just get it nice and neutral. So look, that's it uh, for Tom's Veggie Watch this month. Uh, it's the care of brassicas. And the main thing with them is dusting uh, to try and keep them nice and healthy because you want those leaves feeding into your beautiful you know, Brussels sprouts. And I, I love the old sprout. Pretty good when they're fresh out of the garden. Oh, they certainly are. Look, any time, any time of year I'll get some and I'll, I'll have a go at them. Really love them. Uh, um, so, yeah, 
there we go. Just dusting is the main thing at the moment to keep them well watered and some mulching around them as well. And then eat them, of course, once they're mm-hmm. grown. Yes. But how long do they take to, well, I was going to say fruit, but I suppose you'd say that to come to... Uh, oh, yeah, look, sprouts mm-hmm. are, always seem to be about the longest. I think they're about 9 to 12 weeks for sprouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your cauliflower uh, and, and cabbage, obviously, they're going to be a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, um, look, they are, you know, they a little bit uh, longer than tomatoes, for instance, you know, where you can almost after four weeks you can get a tomato on the vine. So, if you know, you might have to wait 9 to 12 weeks for those mm-hmm. Brussels sprouts are usually the longest. Mm. Mm. Now, do uh, give us a call if you've got a question for Scott Sharp today, 49216216 to get your question through for Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM. Well, what about crepe myrtles, Scott? Oh, yes, the cutting back of crepe myrtles. Because they look very untidy after they've lost their leaves. Yeah, particularly untidy at the moment. Everything has pretty much lost its leaves. I know I I park my car underneath my golden robinias and... uh, yeah, people comment about that because usually it's a, a yellow car at this time of year. But your crepe myrtles, it is is time to give them a prune back. Uh, now, the old thing is to prune back to the knuckle. You give it the old knuckle sandwich. I was talking yeah. to Todd about this on Friday. Yeah. Uh, so you'll find that once you've been pruning your crepe myrtle a number of times, it starts to form knuckles from you know where it shoots back from again. And that actually becomes quite an attractive part of the plant. I mean, the bark generally in the trunk of the crepe myrtle is very attractive, especially when it's wet. You get these beautiful patterns uh, you know, sort of flowing down through it. So, yeah, it's it's time to prune your crepe myrtle back. Uh, you can go quite hard with them, but uh, always just go back to the knuckle, you know, previously where you've been pruning before. Don't go down below that, uh, you, you know, because it, it just sort of reduces the plant down inside and then you'll form the knuckle a little bit lower down. So always just go back to the knuckle. You'll get really nice shoots coming back out of that. And, and one of the really nice sights in the garden over winter is the, the trunks of mm, the crepe myrtle trees. They really are. And, and like very I said, pretty. when they get wet, it's, it's very, very pretty. So, I mean, that's a, a way of adding colour to your winter garden, isn't it? Putting in a crepe myrtle. And certainly during uh, spring and summer when they're out in flower, you get the whites, the uh, mauves, the pinks, uh, the cerises, all of those, you know, really bright and vibrant colours out of the, uh, the crepe myrtle. So some beautiful ones over in Georgetown. Uh, down one of the streets there that, uh, you know, it's like an avenue of crepe myrtles and you certainly know it's crepe myrtle time when you're driving down that street. Yes, or Station Street, Waratah, I think, has some beautiful ones as well. Okay, it must have been a Waratah, Georgetown sort of thing to plant plant crepe myrtles over there. And they're really big and beautiful. Yeah, they are. Steve, following on from our veggies theme, you've got a question for Scott. Hey, Steve, how how can we help, mate? Oh, good day, Scott. Yeah, I've got a question about uh, Derish dust and a lot of the uh, older-style pesticides we used to use. And I, I, I really don't like growing veggies to give them to the insects. I'd rather we all ate them instead. Yep. So what's what's in Derish dust? What's what's the basis of something as simple as that one? Yeah, well, look, I know I probably made a, a little bit of a, not a mistake, but uh, we do, we call it Derish dust now, but it, it's not as it was back in the old days when it was a bad thing. I think it was just a... Uh, a bit of a commercialisation just to continue calling it Deris dust. And I, even now they're starting to change the the names of those. So it's tomato and veggie dust. So it's, you know, a little bit more generic. Uh, look, mate, unfortunately I'm not a chemist, so I don't know exactly what's in those things. <laughs> so you, you've absolutely stumped me there. That's a, that's a very good one. Uh, I'll, I'll make some more investigations about it. Uh, look, I, I would strongly suggest, though, that it's not, uh, you know, a, a natural, um, you know, um, you know, something that's going to be, uh, you know, you can, you know, easily uh, wash off and, and pick. There must be a withholding period um, with that when you're using those dusts. 
so if you want to use something natural to keep uh, you know the moths and the cabbage uh, grubs away uh, the thing to use is usually pyrethrum uh, and there's all sorts of other eco oils out there now we call we call uh, there's one that call, is called eco oil and it's just made up of uh, tea tree and other botanical oils and it's perfectly safe to use uh, it, it leaves a protective coating over the plant it doesn't ne necessarily work as an insecticide whereby it kills uh, you know the grubs on there but it forms a protective coating so that when the moth goes to lay its egg it lays the, it, it sits there and tries to lay it and, it and it can't do so or it doesn't like it because of the feel or the taste of it uh, look I, I would uh, you know rather than using Deris dust you know pyrethrums uh, again is a very safe one to use um, but look, the, the the dust. As long as you uh, adhere to the instructions and uh, make sure that you uh, you know wash them off properly. And usually, as I said, there's a withholding period. So if you've used the dust, you can't uh, pick the the uh, fruit or the uh, you know the cabbage or whatever uh, you know within five days. For instance, I'm only just pulling that out of my hat, but that's usually a common withholding period. Um, you know, they're they're perfectly safe to use. Okay, I like that answer. That's a good one. Okay, mate. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks very much, for and that, Steve. good luck with your veggies, Steve. So four nine two one six two one six. Remember that number. Dial it if you've got a question you'd like to ask Scott. Now we've talked about crepe myrtles. Is there anything else that needs attention at the moment in the garden? Uh, look, I, I think if you've got a lawn, it, it must be soggy and wet. I know my backyard's just generally soggy and wet, uh, so I'll, I'll often mention this, and uh, and that is to go out and just uh, toss a bit of dolomite lime around your lawn at this time of year. It just sweetens the soil for you. Uh, if you've got access to an aerator or you'd like to go and rent one, uh, probably also a good idea to aerate the soil at this time as well. Uh, but look, generally feeding your lawn, not something that you would go and do uh, because it, it's not going to actually have any effect. It just sort of washes through the, uh, uh, back down into the, into the subsurface. It, the plant, the, uh, you know, the grass actually doesn't uh, make use of it at the moment. It's, it's virtually dormant. Uh, however, the uh, you know the lime is a very good idea. The dolomite lime to go and spread that around the lawn at the moment, especially if you've got a you know a lawn that's in some shade, uh, or you know there's a particular wet patch in the area, you might go and use it then uh, in, in that particular spot. Also, uh, look, it's, it seems simple. Um, you know, and I'm, it's almost like, uh, you know, gardening for dummies. But if you've got leaves, you know, from deciduous trees sitting all over your lawn, go and rake those up at the moment. Yes, they form a great mulch on the garden. Um, you know, they are a little bit high in nitrogen, but go and use them anyway. Um, but don't leave them sitting all over the lawn because they're going to, you know, sit there. The, uh, the lawn, even in its dormant state, can't photosynthesize. Uh, and you're more susceptible to fungal diseases as well. So get out the rake as well at this point in time. Now, when you're talking about aerating the mm -hmm. lawn, is it possible to do it manually with a garden fork? Oh, you can. I think it just takes a long time to to go and do <laughs> that. Yeah, there, there's the old, um, you know, you can get the thongs or you know the sort of the sandals, yeah. almost like Japanese sandals, I think, but they've got spikes on the bottom. So, um, you know, there might be a good torturing sort of <laughs> method, you know, of some sort as well. But uh, not a massage, I, I don't think, wouldn't sound very uh, comfortable. And you can just sort of tread those around the lawn as well. Uh, look, the other thing as well, especially with buffalo lawn. Uh, you know, if you've got a spot where uh, you know you're walking all the time, uh, try and keep a away from uh, you know that. Try and you know alter your tracks and spend, uh, with animals as well. If you're going out to the clothesline, put some stepping stones in because uh, 
you know, certainly buffalo lawn, it does wear down uh, during this time of, of year and it finds it hard to come back once we get to spring and summer. But otherwise, uh, look, a good thing to do is go to, you know, one of the higher companies. Uh, you know, they've got those aerators that you can get, like a big roller with spikes all over them. Mm-hmm. Another, you know, sort of medieval torture instrument there that we're thinking <laughs> about. And often uh, you fill those ones up with water to make them heavy and then you can just roll those around the lawn. It's probably a, you know, more expedient way to do it. You'd do it in a couple of hours using that rather than the old pitchfork. You might be out there for, you know, days and days. Makes it easier. Four nine two one six two one six is the number for you to ring through to Scott with your question. Cody's rung that number from Stroud. Now, you've got a little bit of experience with Darius Dust, Cody. Yeah, yes, I have. Fan. I've used it in the past. Oh, fantastic. Give us some information. <laughs> uh, basically, the active constituent of Darius Dust is what they call rotenone. Mm-hmm. Um, it is naturally occurring. It's mm. found in sort of several seeds and uh, things like that of, of various different plants. Yep. Um, do they do is, things do it to it to make it into the dust, though? Uh, well, they basically extract it, yep. so it's a concentrate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only mildly toxic to humans and mammals, yep. but it's extremely toxic to insects and aquatic life. Yes. So things like fish and probably frogs and stuff like that would not like it. Mm-hmm. Um it does, in humans, uh, poisoning is, is extremely rare because it, it usually causes vomiting. Mm-hmm. So you sort of get rid of it um, at a fast rate. So hence the withholding periods. That, that about would be on six a, days yes, usually yeah, because thought, sunlight yeah. decomposes it, yeah. yeah. And uh, look, mate, what about um, sprinkling? And we always worry about the bees here on, on this show. What about sprinkling it around, um, you know, when the bees, would it harm them as well, uh, you know, mentioning insects? It's non-selective, so it'll kill beneficials, mm-hmm. including bees. Okay. Yep. Okay, that, that's not a good thing. So I guess some of those other, uh, you know, uh, like things like pyrethrum or the eco oil are going to be a better uh, product to use to try and keep, uh, you know, the cabbage moth under control then. Yeah, or if people are into um, integrated pest management, then using um, predatory insects is actually a really good way to go about it as well. Yeah, look, I, and I, I have used those in the past where we had some red spider mite around where we got some ladybugs, uh, you know, sent up to us and we, uh, we sort of released those into the area. They actually did quite a good job. Yeah, yeah, there are a couple of companies. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention them on the air, but there's there are some if you if you just sort of Google predatory insects, um, particularly for controlling common vegetable pests. The advantage with them is that usually once they're established in the garden, you don't have to keep rebuying them. Yeah. And if you're not someone that uses a lot of pesticides, then they'll kind of develop a balance. Yes. Yeah. That that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. Thanks very much for calling in, Cody. Not a problem. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a nice afternoon, mate. Cheers. You too. Bye-bye. And, yeah, that is useful, isn't it? Mm. Very good information. Um, it's 19 to 1, and just right at the moment, Scott, I, unless it's something you'd like to squeak about, no? No, no. I, I'll, I'll, I'll put my squeaky little voice away if you'd like. <laughs> You're very squeaky. We'll hop into the events calendar at 2NURFM.com. Coming up tomorrow evening from – or afternoon, in fact, from 2 till 4 – uh, the Newcastle Family History Society gets together for their general meeting, uh, and that's at the Mechanics Institute in 68 Elder Street, Lambton. Um, and they've got a guest speaker, and tomorrow it's John Ramsland. He's also a member, OAM, and Professor Emeritus of History at the University of Newcastle, and they welcome members and visitors. It's all free. So, yeah, I'll find out about family history. Um, well, I, it helps me out over there one time. I, I was telling Jane before that I was over at uh, the, the particular place and I found my old yearbook from Lambton High School in 1988. So 
you felt, and that gave you a bit of a warm glow, didn't it? It, it because did. Because you'd been involved, heavily involved yeah, in Yeah, so producing. yeah, it was a, a really good uh, little uh, place I've got over there. Kath's rung that number. She's rung from Madawi, and uh, you've got a lemon tree you'd like to look after well. Yes, I would. Thanks, Jane. I, if I could talk to Scott, it's a, it's a my lemon. I've had it. Oh, look, it's hard to estimate how long how long I've had it. It's got to be at least six years old. Yeah. But it's still only a metre high. Oh, okay. That doesn't and sound it, too flash. It's no, stunted, no, isn't but, it? I mean, it's, it's been a good producer up till this year, and I just feel it's not getting the sunshine it needs. Uh, okay. And I was wondering how how I'd go if like I wanted to move it into a, a more open area. Yeah, look, that that's fine, especially because it's only a metre tall. And look, mm. just generally about citrus, they do require the full sun, uh, yeah. you know, to, to fruit and grow properly. The other thing mm. is, you know, if they're in the shade, they're going to be far more susceptible to, uh, you know, fungal diseases and in, insect yeah, incursion as well. Yeah, I've had to watch out well. for those, um, those little um, bumps they get on. That's, that's that... What do you call oh, it? They get, yeah, they get leaf the miner, yeah, they, or gall wasp as well. No, that's that's what, it, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and so I've actually um, clipped them all off and, and actually got rid of those totally out of the yard. Yeah, so when you get gall wasp, it's important to, uh, you know, cut that off and then seal it up in a plastic bag mm. and put it in the garbage yep. to, to try and keep it under control. Yes. Uh, so, look, yes, the fact that your tree's only about a metre tall, fantastic. Uh, it's probably a good time to dig it out now, you know, the, the ground. Really? Well, it's got, it's got about half a dozen lemons oh, on it at okay. the moment. Uh, yeah. Well, look, you can you can wait for them to uh, you know to ripen if you'd like to. Well, they're pretty. I could take them off now. Actually, yeah. they're pretty well ripened up. Okay, well, I, yep. I would do that in that case because what you don't want to be doing is, you know, transplanting it as we get into spring or, you know, into the hotter months. Now's a great time to do it. The plant's oh, okay. becoming yep. more dormant. Uh, so take those off. Uh, you might just give the plant a very light prune back as well because you'll mm -hmm. find that a lot of the, you know, the outer leaves will uh, die back anyway. Yes, yes. And then try and dig out as much soil as you possibly can to take with it. Uh, you know, if you've got any roots you can't, um, you know, remove, uh, actually cut them with a saw or with some secateurs or something. Don't drag right. them out. You do more damage that way. Right. And yeah. uh, dig a nice big hole, no fertilizer or anything in it. Uh, you might use some fresh garden soil if you want to. What about so the sea, the sea soil bit? Yes. Would so, you recommend that to put in? Yeah, so sea soil is great for yep. the root system of okay. plants. So you yep. could certainly do that and mix that in with that when you're drenching that hole. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just, you know, plonk your plant in there. Um, you know, fill back up, no higher the, uh, up the trunk than it was already. No. And, and then just, again, give it a good water in. Uh, so the... Yeah, see, uh, I didn't think it was a good time to do it. With the fruiting season, I thought I would have to wait. Yeah, well, look, the fact, that, the fact <clears throat> that it's towards the end of the fruiting season... Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of, of, of what you're saying there is that you don't uh, transplant a plant when it's, you know, forming the fruit and flowering because oh, that, that's right. just going to drop off. As soon as you, yep. you know, pull the plant out of the ground, it's going to be stressed yeah. and all that's going to drop off. But now that the plant's, you know, semi-dormant in the middle of winter, the ground's quite moist. Uh, yes, you know, it is, yeah. So it's a, it's a good time to do it. The other thing to do might be just to put a couple of stakes uh, around the plant as well because, the you know, the plant's going the root system's been compromised yes. and if we do get some you know those westerly winds as we go into october you know the plant will get blown around as well mm -hmm. so probably a good idea just to give just it to a, support it a bit yeah, yeah don't try never tie the plant up too tightly you always want it to be able to jiggle around a little bit yeah because that actually helps strengthen the root system old nylon stockings for that they seem to work well with that yeah very the stretch and, the, and yeah. they're soft yeah. Very good, and they don't cut into the plant that's as right. well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, so look, and that's really going to be about it. Uh, I would then uh, look, you know, somewhere in late August, uh, probably give the plant some slow-release fertilizer at that time, and mm -hmm. then again, uh, you know, once we get into 
you know, December, you might actually give it some poultry manure because the, the root system will have started to spread out now. Yep. You mm-hmm. don't give it a heavy fertiliser, uh, uh, you know, it, once you've put it in there because the uh, the root system spreads out and little fine hair roots are coming, yes. Yeah, yes. And, and they yes. burn off very, very easily. And uh, like you mentioned about the seed, so you can continue using that uh, every couple of weeks as well just to promote the root oh, growth good. of the plant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that, Scott. Okay. That's good. I was a bit, a bit worried because I didn't really want to lose it. The lemons are beautiful on it. It's just that it's not really happy where it is at the moment. Yeah, get, getting it out in the full sun is the most mm. important thing. Yeah, okay, great. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. All the best with that, Kath. And Marie has rung in from Swansea. And, uh, well, it's a technical question for you, Scott. Marie, That's all right. would you like to uh, ask him? Hello, Marie. How can we help you? Oh, good morning. Uh, good afternoon, Scott. Um, I just wanted to ask, I bought two... Escalonias that are the red, I think it's called Red Knight. Yes, yeah. Um, but to me, the flower is actually deep pink. <laughs> yes. Um, and I was thinking about the fact that you can change the colour of um, hydrangeas by changing the pH level of the soil. And I just wondered if um, you could do that, whether that would work to make them more red. No, not with Escalonias no. yet. Look, to no. my knowledge, hydrangeas are about the only flower that will actually do right. that. Yes, so certainly not Escalonias, I'm afraid. No, okay, no, it just crossed my mind. And uh, but just they're a tough, um, they're a tough little plant, the Escalonia. You'll you'll find it well, hard to kill that. They're um, lovely and they're you know shiny leaves and mm. bushy and uh, but I just really wanted a red flower. <laughs> Anyway, not yeah, to worry. That's all right. Look, they, they, and they make a great little hedging plant as well. So, uh, you know, and they actually look a lot better if you're giving them a light prune every now and again. They don't get woody and they'll stay nice and, uh, you know, soft and green for you. Oh, okay. Yes, okay then, when they get a bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks Thank for that. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a nice afternoon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Marie. Um, just before we um, look at going then, Scott, um, we're not going yet, obviously. <laughs> Colour in the garden. Yes, it's, it's a, look, it's a bit drab out there at the moment. Yeah. I'd have to say this morning was a little bit drab. I'd, well, that was something to do with the cloud cover, surely. It did, got a little bit cold as well as I was out there. But, uh, look, if you want to uh, try and brighten up your winter garden, there's a few things, uh, you know, you can put in there. Marguerite daisies, they'll start flowering uh, now in winter and continue on into spring, so a, a nice one to have. Are they white with the yellow centre? Yeah, you yeah, can also so get pinks, yellows, a whole lot of different marguerite daisies. So you can get double ones as well, so you get that really nice. You don't have the yellow centre in there in, the, in that case. Uh, status, so you get a nice purple flower out of those, and they're perennial, so they'll keep on going for you. Uh, look, if you're uh, able to find red hot poker. Oh, they're very exciting. Yes, they, they certainly are. Now, usually you buy those as a, a, a not as a bowl, but uh, that's that's where you can usually get them at a garden centre. Uh, some French lavenders are starting to flower now as well, um, mm-hmm. and you, mostly in spring. But we'll start to get spot flowering out of French lavender. And the other thing, if you want to, uh, you know, get some sort of different colour in your garden, and you can form patterns with this particular plant, is ornamental kale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so ornamental kale, you get that really vibrant, uh, you know, purple centre. You can also get one with a white centre on it as well. And then you get the funny green outer leaves that, you know, look like, um, you know, cabbage or whatever. And that's what they are. They're actually a brassica. So we've been talking about them all today, but uh, it's a really good way to get some, uh, you know, some vibrant uh, winter colour into your garden. Sounds great. Yeah. Great advice for the garden, as always, Scott Sharp. And you'll be back next, um, next word is Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday <laughs> yes, one. I've got that one, yeah. <laughs> At bloom or noon or whenever <laughs> on 2NURFM with Gardening Talkback.